You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, What is God Able to Do in This Situation? Recorded on Sunday, November 25th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It's great to be here on Thanksgiving weekend. Christians should love Thanksgiving weekend because Christians should always be in, well, all humans should always be in a thankful posture. Thanksgiving towards God is as a posture of humbly coming and saying, I receive good things from God and therefore I should be thankful. It's much better than the other options most of us humans have to choose from, like coming to God as if we're a proud worker demanding our wage or coming to God like a pathetic self pitying child who cries and whines all the time. We want to always be thankful, and it's nice when the rest of the nation joins in on our holiday, and uh, so we're happy to have that. If you are a first-time guest, my name is Mike, and nice to meet you, and you could be sitting right here where I am in containing Pennsylvania, or you could be sitting in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or you could be standing, or you could be in Freeport, Pennsylvania, or you could be in the Petroleum Valley, or you could even be in jail. Hopefully it's not the last, but if you are in jail... Um, God bless you too. We are reaching out to all those places. This week in the news, we had a headline about this U.S. missionary killed. Did you guys hear about that? Um, missionaries get killed sometimes, sometimes. Uh, not often, but sometimes. More often than you'd think. But normally it doesn't make national news. Why this one did, I'm not exactly sure. But um, this guy is named Chow. Uh, John Chow, and he was killed by North Sentinel Islanders. Now, you should, you should be a, a winning the Tournament of Champion at Jeopardies if you knew that there was a place called North Sentinel Island before this happened, right? I didn't, I'd never heard of it. And John Chow went there to reach... Apparently, people who we're told have been isolated for thousands of years... Uh, the outside world leaves them alone because they will stab you with pointy sticks if they don't. And apparently no one has thought that island had some sort of natural resource that needed to be exploited. Otherwise, they, I'm sure somebody would have colonized it. So now this guy died. And, and I'm already seeing the critics come out. They had one anthropologist, Indiana Jones probably, who said he shouldn't be going there and messing with their culture and bringing diseases and all this other uh, silly, silly things to say. Others say, well, he shouldn't have. He paid some guys to take him on a boat. He shouldn't have paid guys to take him on a boat. Well, how else was he going to get there? Here's what I see. I see a man, wisely or unwisely. Well, I'm, I'm no technician of how to get to Stone Age tribes in Sentinel Island. I don't know how to do it. But wisely or unwisely, I see a man who gave his life to tell these people that Jesus gave his life to die for their sins. And by doing so, he has brought the entire world's attention to North Sentinel Island. And I think it's a good excuse for us to pray and to be in prayer for those people that someone else now goes. You know, he, there was no way in. The government wasn't going to give him permission. So he just went. And you might think, well, should you do that? 
Well, does not Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me? No one has a right to tell another person they cannot go bring the gospel to another person. Now, they'll do it, but God didn't give them that right. God said, you go, and he went, and we thank God for his going. I do not see it as a mistake, regardless of how it happened. I'm sad that that he died. I'm sad for his parents that he died. Um, Because you're a Christian doesn't mean when people die, you cry less. You may cry with more hope, but you still cry. Nevertheless, let us take that as as a reminder Uh, This is your homework. I'm not going to pray now and say, okay, that counts for you. This is your homework. (laughs) Pray for these North Sentinel Island people that someone will reach them with the gospel. Did you know that the most Christian state in the world is in India, which is mostly a non-Christian country? And and, and that is in the um, brain is turning off. Where was Emily from? Somebody. Somebody. the Nagaland people, who used to be headhunters, chopping off heads, till some dude from Boston, some Baptist from Boston, went there and shared the gospel. And now all of Nagaland is Christian. Well, there's no reason why those people who are living in fear of death, in a fear of Satan, in a fear of whatever weird religions they have, can't be set free from Christ if someone will go. Um, and speaking of the courage to go... Today's text is, is on someone who has that kind of courage. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going through 1 Samuel. We're going to get all the way through chapter 17 before we take a break for Christmas and then for a short series at the beginning of the year. So we're on chapter 14. Normally we're reading the whole chapter. This time I, didn't, I chose not to. We're just going to deal with the first 15 verses. So if you're ready to go, here we go. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. Now, that's got to be a wild cave, right? Uh, (laughs) It's filled with pomegranate. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. And within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. We're dealing with two rocky crags here, folks. So you got Jonathan and his shield bearer, his armor bearer, saying, we don't want to just sit around a cave waiting to fight Philistines. Let's go out and and see what we can find. And they go to some place with two rocky crags. Okay? The name of the one was Bozes, the name of the other, Sina. And the one crag rose in the north in front of Michmash, and the other in the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said, verse 6, Verse 6, if you have a Bible open and it's one you can write in and you're the kind who writes in your Bible, verse 6 is your verse, right? Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. That's how you insulted people back then. Called them uncircumcised. (laughs) Um, Especially Philistines. 
It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that's in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. This should have Mission Impossible music going on. Dun, 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 Because Jonathan is, is a bad dude, all right? Um, some people put another word after that. I'm not going to do that, but you know what I'm saying. He's, he's a bad dude. He, he, he sneaks away from the crowd, and in this little two-man special forces group, says the two of us are going to sneak in and see what kind of damage we can do to the enemy. I'm very impressed with him. And notice his, his armor bearer makes it into the Bible, but not his name. Right? In heaven, they know his name. He's probably in heaven saying to Samuel right now, why didn't you put my name in there? I mean, Jonathan got his name in there. I'm just armor bearer. But such it is, he's just armor bearer. But look how impressive he is. Do all that's in your heart. He's a, he's a very brave armor bearer, right? I think I'd rather have an armor bearer who's willing to do anything courageously than another soldier who's a coward. And, 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 and I'm, I don't want to push this too far, but I can't help but think that, that a man like Jonathan who has true faith in God and who courageously steps out is a natural leader. And, and humans need to be led. All humans need leaders. You need leaders. I need leaders. We all need leaders. We're social creatures. We're not meant to be alone. And we're meant to... The best comes out of us when we are led. Now, your individuality may say, No, I'm John Wayne. Well, whatever. John Wayne brought the best in others by leading them. And and, and Jonathan... You've got to think this armor bearer doesn't reach his full potential without a Jonathan. That has nothing to do with the, what we want to aim for today. I just didn't want to pass this armor bearer off too quickly. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we'll cross over to the men. We'll show ourselves to them. So, you know, if I'm hiding from a whole bunch of guys with pointy sticks who want to kill me, I think I'm in a good position. I'd be like, let's wait till nightfall, go into their tent, and do bad things when they can't see us. <laughs> He's like, let's go out and say, Hey, <laughs> here we are. We'll show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand in our place. I'd be like, can I run? No, we'll stand right here. We'll not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. So here we see Jonathan. I don't know how he came up with this sign. I do not suggest you come up with signs for the Lord. Right? There's people who... He's saying, if they call us up, that's God telling us, go fight. I don't know if he heard directly from God. I don't know where. It's not, it's a good thing he's doing it. Don't practice that. I've seen Christian guys do this when they wanted a girl, and they needed the Lord on their side. And they said, God, show me a sign. If the sun comes up in the morning, it's my sign that you want me to marry this girl. You end up making stuff up in your own imagination but there's a humility in what he's doing, too. He's not presuming upon the Lord, is he? He's not saying, God owes me those people. He's like, we need a test to see if God wants us to go up there and fight. And the test is, they're going to invite him up. 
So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. Obviously, more than a spear's throw away. They're like, mm, you know, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> hey. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. Which is kind of a, a funny thing to say. Look, Hebrews are popping out of the ground. It's like whack-a-mole. Let's go get them. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we want to show you a thing. Yeah, Hey, hey, you two, come on up. I want to show you something. Yeah, sure you do. Now look at this part. Jonathan said, uh, and Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me. What a great leader. He's, he said, you know, you come behind me. I'll, I'll lead the way. I'll take the bullet first. There were no bullets, but you know what I mean. For the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. These men... God gave them to us. Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and the armor bearer after him. I guess if you have a hill, a craggy hill, that's hard enough. Your hands help you balance and away they go. And it says they fell before Jonathan and the armor bearer killed them after him. Right now, the Bible's getting really kind of fun here. <laughs> so Jonathan is whacking. I don't know what this looks like, but he's going all UFC on these dudes, right? He's smashing them and knocking them down. They're like, an armor bearer's job. That's kind of bloody. It's probably to well, just make sure they're dead. It's like double tap, you know, poof. I knock them out. You make sure they're dead. This is like, you know, when they first came out with a double-edged razor. The first blade knocks it down, and the second one cuts it off. And that's him and his armor bearer. And that first strike, with John, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within it, as they were half a furrow's length in an acre of land. So they're in a small bit of land, a large yard, and they kill going uphill, which is the worst way to attack. They attack 20 guys, two on 20, and they, they win. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. So um, no one, one thing you don't want to hear as a soldier is that other soldiers in your army were just defeated. That causes fear. It takes away your confidence. And, um, and so God was apparently using these two men to create fear in, in, a, very, in a much larger army. And, um, and so that's our text for today. I just have one, two, three... Three observations about this text, and I think we have time to get to them all. Number one, Jonathan approached earthly challenges with a heavenly mindset. you got to love Jonathan. He knows I'm outnumbered here. We're crawling out of the ground, just the two of us. I left my dad and, and those hundreds of soldiers in pomegranate land, in that cave, and, and just me and this dude, we're outnumbered. <laughs> This is not a fair fight. We don't have a chance. He is not expecting God to do the fighting for him. He's not saying this is going to be like Jericho where the walls fall down. He knows he's going to have to put forth the effort. He knows that an angel isn't going to stab those people. He needs to go stab them himself. 
But he also knows that the physical world submits to an invisible God who's always there. He asks not, what can I do in this situation? Follow this. He doesn't say, what can I do in this situation? He says, what is God able to do in this situation? That's a much different question, isn't it? This, this message is for you. <laughs> it's just for you. There's not a human in here who doesn't need to get what Jonathan gets, to think like Jonathan thinks. He's walking in and he's saying, not saying, what can I do about this situation? He says, what can God do in this situation? You could be trying to rent an apartment in Pittsburgh. I don't have enough money. I don't know where I'm going to live. You think, what can I do? He said, it doesn't matter what you can do. What can God do in this situation? You, you could be facing something that actually is more life and death. You could be trying to plant a church, do a lock-in, send missionaries, feed your family. How would Jonathan approach all those things? Look at verse 6. That's our main verse here. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Let's go see if God will. He's not not a jerk. He He doesn't presume upon God. He's humble. He's not one of those name it, claim it preachers like Ken Copeland say, you just got to tell the Lord, why aren't you going to do this for me? Because I believe it with all my heart and all this crap. You just say it and you believe it and God's got to do it. That's crap. And that's not Jonathan. He's like, maybe, you know, (laughs) sure, we're outnumbered, but maybe God will knock those guys out. He can do it. He can win. We could have thousands and we can win. We could just have you and me, armor bearer, let's go over there. Being outnumbered is not going to hinder God. That's Jonathan's point of view. It needs to be mine. It needs to be yours. He doesn't attempt to manipulate God. He doesn't say, well, I blew it a few weeks ago, but I lit a couple candles, went to church, and said a prayer, and so now could you do something for me? As if you put God in your debt. Now you owe me because I've been good. No! He doesn't say, well, last couple months ago, my grandma died, and that was sad, so now you kind of owe me, so why don't you help me in this battle? He doesn't do any of that bargaining. He humbly says, if God is with us, we can do this. You need that. You need that. Unless you're the one person on the planet that we've ever met who says, Life's a cinch, smooth sailing all the way. I never have problems. If if that's you, first I wish I were you. But the rest of us need that. How many times have I forgotten that Jesus is the X factor? Go to buy a car. You go to say something difficult to a loved one. You go to do something hard. And you forget, oh yeah, there's Jesus. Oh yeah, he's here too. Luke 
12, 24. Look, look at what Jesus says. Consider the ravens. How many of you have been thinking about ravens lately? Big, ugly birds. Well, they're not too ugly. They have a kind of Edgar Allan Poe, peck your eye out kind of beauty to them. I guess they don't look attractive because whenever you see them, they're eating guts. Have you been thinking about them lately? Well, how about right now? You take time and think about them. Consider the ravens. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have a storehouse. They don't have a barn. They don't, have a, they don't go to shopping at, at, at Giant Eagle. They don't, they don't have cabinets. They don't have a refrigerator to, to keep their food cold. They don't have a stove to cook on. They don't have jobs. They don't even have pockets to put their money in if they had a job. Just wings, feathers. Can't even hold the money. Try signing a check with feathers. How much more value are you than the birds? What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, be like Jonathan when you're worried about where your food and rent are coming from. No, no, he's not using those words. But he's saying, don't forget, I'm here. I feed birds. (laughs) They don't ask. Birds are freeloaders. (laughs) They don't reap. They don't work. What kind of birds are a bunch of welfare freeloaders? (laughs) And I feed them. I like you better than birds. Don't forget I'm here. I think uh, it's the human tendency to forget that the invisible God is in our difficult world. And he's for us. Elizabeth Cheney, seeing our tendency to forget that God is for us, wrote this short poem, which some of you may have heard, but if not, here it goes. It's called The Robin and the Sparrow. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. See, the birds are like, Birds know there's a God. Your dog knows there. Don't witness to your dog. If some of you are saying, well, I got to preach the gospel to somebody, so you pick your cat, your cat knows. All of creation is groaning, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, says Romans 8. So your cat's probably looking at you and said, could you hurry up and be revealed so that dogs quit biting me in the hind parts, you know? The animals know. (laughs) It's us. Jonathan said, what is God able to do in this situation? If, if, if we're the people of Israel, and we're supposed to stop those bad people from coming and taking over our towns. God's on our side. Is God on your side? What about all those verses that says he is for you and not against you? Is he there? Does he exist? Or, 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 well, yeah, he's there when I'm at church. I'm singing. I feel good. I hear a message. I feel good. I leave. And then he leaves. I'm out there on my own. No, you're not. Be like Jonathan. <laughs> Remember that this earthly <laughs> world needs to be approached by people who understand what's going on in the heavenly realm. That there is a God. Second observation is God intervened, yet there was no miracle. 
There was no miracle. No miracle happened that day. Miracles, suspensions of the regular laws of physics, right? <laughs> um, we love miracles. Who doesn't want a miracle? Give me a miracle. Christians are hungry for miracles. Sometimes they're so hungry for miracles, they'll say anything's a miracle. Everything's a miracle. And sometimes they'll make up miracles. And then they'll tell another Christian, and Christians always think Christians are telling the truth. Say, I know it's true. How do you know? He told me. Jesus taught the apostles that God is able to do things in difficult situations by using a miracle. And that's why we like it. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? 5,000 people, and for, uh, as far as we can tell, that was just the men, so there were probably more than 5,000. They're, they're all out in this wilderness, and, and it's past supper time. <laughs> and, and one of the apostles says, Jesus, see those people? They're hungry. How about we send them home so they can go eat so they don't faint? And you know what Jesus said? You feed them. <laughs> You, why don't you give them something to eat? Now, now, you want to see a moment where if you ask, what am I capable of versus what can God do in this situation? They, they said, what are we? Can't, we can't feed these people. Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to teach you a lesson. The whole point of the feeding of these people wasn't that they ate. The whole point of feeding them was to teach the apostles that, that you don't have the resources, perhaps, to do what God tells you, but you don't need them. He's got them. And, and let me read this story to you. He says, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes. Unless we're going to go and buy food for all these people. And they didn't have that kind of money. For there were about 5,000 men. So he said to his disciples, yeah. now, I don't know Jesus' expressions. He might have laughed. He might have giggled. He might have said in a commanding way. But he might have rolled his eyes. Okay. I don't know what he did. Have them sit down. He might have said it like that. Or he might have said, hey, let me show you something. Why don't you have them sit down in groups of about 50 each? Just do it. And they did. And they all had them all sit down. And then taking the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied in what was left over and picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So Jesus did a miracle. He suspended the regular laws of how things work. He had just a couple of breads. Loaves of bread, but let's just say breads. And he broke those breads and passed them out. And he came, he, he not only fed everybody, but he had a basket each for each apostle. I mean, you, <laughs> what do I do with this? Set it next to your sleeping bag tonight, John, and I want you to think about what you learned today. You thin, thought we couldn't do it? I showed you what God can do. <laughs> well, that's what we want, right? We want miracles. Christians want miracles. This story in Jonathan, nothing miraculous happened. If you were watching, you'd say something awesome happened. But you didn't see Jonathan grow wings and levitate, right? <laughs> he didn't become like one of the X-Men. These things coming out of claws, coming out, going, ah, you know. Didn't have spidey senses, Nothing. He just, in the old-fashioned way, just killed some folks. Christian, it's important that we understand that the Bible teaches that miracles are very rare. 
Well, it happened all the time in the Bible. No, they don't. You're not reading the right Bible. They don't. When they do, it's unusual in the Bible. Crowds show up. But God interacts with the ordinary fabric of everyday life. That's the thing we forget. We think if there's a miracle, God must be here. But if there's no miracle, you're like you pray for someone to get healed. Someone's arm is broke real bad and, you know, they might have to cut it off unless something happens. And Lord, say this person, you want the miracle. You want them to go in that day and the doctor says, wow, all the infection's gone. I don't know how this happened. It's a miracle. But instead, over weeks with lots of antibiotics and lots of surgery, after six months, the guy can still use his arm. Well, that wasn't God. That was natural. That's what we think. And we're wrong. (laughs) We're wrong. God is in the ordinary. That's what this story shows us. Those Philistines aren't going to leave and say, that was a miracle. They're going to say, we got to coach up our guys better. Two dudes beat up 20 of us. Jesus is spoken of like this in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God. So we know Jesus is God. He's man and God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Let's say those are invisible. And all things that were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. What we see here is Jesus is intimately part of every bit of everything that is created, and he keeps it created. What is gravity? Nobody can figure it out. Most likely, Jesus is gravity. Why why don't atoms fly apart? Nobody can really figure it out. They think there's some kind of invisible sticky stuff. There's a more technical name for that, I know, but... God is keeping the stars spinning, but he's also keeping the atoms and the electrons in your foot spinning because he's that amazing. And you don't say, that's a miracle. (laughs) That's a miracle. I had a, a, I still do, a sister-in-law couldn't get pregnant. Nothing more desperate than a woman who can't get pregnant um, and wants to be. Um, also another more desperate than a woman who does get pregnant and doesn't want to, but that's a whole other story. In this case, it was the first. Not, not a, a Christian, not a believer, at least not, a, let's say she's not born again. I don't know what you call herself. Years ago, oh, crying to my wife or her sister. So I talked to her. Now, she never watches these sermons online. Watch, this will be the first one she watches and I'm in trouble. But I'm telling you the truth. This is true. And my wife says, why don't we pray for you? And she was in such a down mood that she let the stupid, backwoods, barefoot Christian relatives pray for her. And shortly after that, what happened? She got pregnant. To which we reminded her, we prayed for you, to which she responded, I think science had something to do with it. Oh, science. (laughs) You see, and I think Christians are often the same way. You pray for someone to get healed, they get healed, and it's not a miracle. So you say, 
Well, who says, don't you think it's a miracle that you can cut this? Don't cut me, please. But if you were to cut me and we just kept it clean, it would close up and grow back. You don't think that's a miracle? Try doing that with a teddy bear. Try doing that with your car. Just cut a hole in a few of the hoses. You see, we're so surrounded by miracles, we don't see miracles. Jesus, wow, look what you did with the bread. Jesus is like, um, this summer I filled an entire empty field with wheat. You, didn't, you weren't impressed. Look what you did with the fish. I'm filling the oceans with schools of these babies. You don't think that's a miracle. You're used to it. <laughs> You're used to it. The whole reason the theory of evolution works on the human mind is because you think if you slow everything down, it's not a miracle, which is stupid. I don't care how much you slow it down, a firefly is not going to get phosphorus in his butt. He his butt or whatever, he ain't lighting up. I don't, care how, I don't care how many millions of years you give him to evolve. He ain't going to have a butt that lights up. But you go out in the summertime in Pennsylvania, and on some weeks, they just fill the sky with light. Then you go, where's the miraculous God? God's like, what do I got to do for you? Birds are flying next to your nose. Let me show you an example from the life of Jesus. John 11, one of, the high priest, one of the priests, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to his buddies, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should perish. So here's a guy who's saying, We need to kill this Jesus guy because he's getting way too much attention. The Romans are going to come down on us. We need to kill him. Better we do that than all of Israel perish. He doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't like Jesus. And yet without knowing it, he just preached the gospel. He didn't even know it. Because the gospel is that Jesus came to die for Israel. They were guilty of sin. He was innocent of sin. He would give himself as an offering on that cross. Outside the camp, he would be destroyed for the sake of Israel. His blood Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. He was shed so he could save Israel. And you say, well, I'm not a Jew. Did he save me too? Yeah, the rest of the gospel is and the whole world. And this guy who hates Jesus didn't even know he preached the gospel. Well, you're saying, well, that's just an accident. Is it? What's the next line in in the text? He didn't say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from this day on, they made plans. plans. John is telling you, by the Holy Spirit, that Caiaphas prophesied, and he didn't even know he prophesied, that Christ would die for sins. Who arranged that? God arranged that. Was it a miracle? No. <laughs> Did Caiaphas know he was speaking for God? No. How did it work? Because God's in everything. When your hair flies in the wind, right? Or not, Matthew, let's go back to the birds, 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? You know what that means? A bird doesn't die unless God is literally there and setting it on the ground. So my son gets a BB gun. 
we're living over in Slate Lick in the Bible Institute. We're just here. He, he's left New Jersey. Nothing but buildings and concrete. He gets to go to the woods. He goes to the BB gun, and without being taught, just doing by nature what God teaches humans to do, he takes that BB gun and he shoots a bird out of the tree. And God bless him for it. You know, the whole National Geographic channel hates him, but hey, he was just doing what kids do. He comes running in with a bird. Look, Mom, and to his sisters. They did not like this at all. He got negative reinforcement. According to the scriptures, he could not kill that bird unless God was there in the moment letting it die and and escorting it to the ground. Well, he didn't think I was there doing that. It wouldn't occur to him. He thought that was a pretty good shot by me. Fear not, therefore, you... He says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you're more value. That hair of the head means even your hairs can't fall to the ground without God being with the hair. <laughs> In the Bible, the purpose for most every miracle is that it's a sign. Just about every miracle is a sign. And some Christians foolishly believe that if you really have faith, just miracles will happen left and right. <laughs> and they're wrong. That didn't even happen in the Bible. They're almost always a sign. I'm not saying you shouldn't ask for them. You should ask for them. But don't think, well, if I don't get them suspending the laws of gravity, then I don't think God is here. That's where you're being a fool. Jonathan knew God was there. He didn't get to the top of the hill, kill 20 people and go, that was me. In your life, God is familiar with every detail of everything that happens every day. And he's right there. He's right there. (laughs) Jonathan, number three, based his actions on truths he had gleaned from the word of God. You got to ask this question, and I know I'm going to guess here, but I think it's a good guess. Jonathan knew something about God. He made a truth statement about God. He said, God is able to save us by many people or by few. God is not going to say, well, there's only two of you. I can't do this. Where did Jonathan learn that? He's just sharp. Look, mankind on his own does not come to a knowledge of God. If he did, he wouldn't be a sinner. We come to the opposite. We become enemies of God. We're in the dark. So where do we find out that kind of knowledge of God? There's only one place. The Bible. Now, they didn't have as much Bible as we have today, but he had the books of Moses, and he had the book of Judges, or the stories of the books of Judges, as Samuel was writing them. So that's my guess. Where else would he learn that lesson? That lesson's all over the books of Moses. The the books of Moses, one of the main miracles, (laughs) if you will, is an old man. An 80-year-old dude goes before the most powerful king in the world and says, I'd like you to let go your entire slave labor force. Please. God said, well, what are you going to do if I don't? Well, I got this stick. I got my brother, because I kind of stutter. He's willing to talk for me. got my brother. How old's he? He's old, too. (laughs) Two old guys, one stick. Pharaoh's like, get out of here. 
okay, here come the bugs, right? Here come the scabs. Here comes blood in the water. Here comes the darkness. Here comes the death of your firstborn sons. Pharaoh said, that's it. Your God really is the one. See, God is able to save through many or through two old guys in a stick. Maybe it's Gideon. Gideon wasn't that far back in his history. Gideon's a wild guy. Gideon meets God, and he's the biggest. He has such a confidence issue. More co- he just has no confidence. Angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is Judges 6. and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, Who are you talking to? And he didn't say that. He said, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? If the Lord is with me, how come Israel keeps getting its butt kicked by these Philistines and other peoples? And where's all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring you up from Egypt? So he's like a whiny baby. Now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, You know, I feel like he should have a, like a Don Corleone moment. Quit your crying, be a man! But he doesn't instead. Because <laughs> God is not Don Corleone. He said... <laughs> No one else saw the movie. Okay, that's fine. Some illustrations don't work. You know, I'm not, I'm not Chuck Swindoll. Go, <laughs> go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Median. Do I not send you? Gideon, you go, you're strong enough. Let me see that bicep. He's like, it goes down, right? <laughs> go get him. So he knows he's got to do it. But God throws in this. Did I not send you? And he said, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, I know you're a wimp, but I will be with you. He didn't say, I know you're a wimp. I'm adding that part. And you shall strike the Midians. Midianites is one man. There's a whole bunch of them. But it's going to be like one-on-one. Because I'm going to be with you. You're going to swing your fist, and I'm going to pound them. You can read the story yourself. But I'll give you the spoiler He gets an army of 32,000 men, Gideon does. How does he do that? And then God says, no, you ain't taking 32,000 men or you'll think you did it. He cuts them down to 300. He says, now there's people over there, so many, it's like locusts. They have camels you can't even number. I want you to send 31,000, how many, 700 of them home. Just take 300 guys. You can read it and see what happened. Because see, Gideon learned that nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And that's what Jonathan, those are Jonathan's words. He says to his armor bearer, I know who our God is. And where did he learn it? Had to be the word of God. No one else was teaching that lesson. Had to be the Bible. These three things, do you see how you need them? You need to know that God is, by the way, for you. You might say, well, what if I'm on the Philistine side? <laughs> you're on the wrong side. But if you're, I'll get back to that in a second. If you, <laughs> I don't leave you hanging. Stay, I'll get to that. But most of you say you're Christians. You receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Christ came to be for you, not against you. He is invisibly for you. What 
Think this week, what is it you plan on being your overwhelming stressor that you don't want to face? What is that thing? Have you, has it occurred to you you're not going in alone? Has it occurred to you that God is with you? Well, I can't see him. Uh, duh. There's a need for all of us Christians to practice the presence of God in our brains, to remind ourselves, God, he's not only here, he's on my side. You say, well, that's arrogant. How can I say he's on my side? (laughs) Because Jesus, if he saves you, you're in his club. Does that mean he'll do anything I want? No, he'll do what he wants, but it'll always be for your good. And Jonathan knew that. He says, maybe the Lord will deliver them. If the Lord's not going to deliver them to us today, he says, we ain't walking up there. We're staying here. We're getting back in that hole. He had an exit strategy. (laughs) Isn't it encouraging to know that? But you also need the humility of Jonathan. (laughs) And you're going to need to read his Bible. And you're going to need to trust him even when you don't see the miraculous. By the way, 2019, as a whole church, all our campuses, we are going to be focusing on reading the Bible in a very um, specific way. If you're not in the habit of reading the Bible, I am not going to condemn you. I am going to be your cheerleader. Go you! (laughs) Because the best thing in your life is about to come to you. Well, let me wrap this up. Ultimately, what we need to do is be Jonathan. We need to believe what the Bible says about the reality that God is right now in this room. Before I got up here to preach, I was thinking this stuff through and thought, why do I get so nervous about making sure I can be an effective preacher? I don't have to worry about that. It's his job. I got to do the work. But he is able. (laughs) He's able. To get into anyone's mind, anyone's heart. I don't have to be clever or cute or finesse the message. He's, he's also able to do anything else that I have to face. Living by faith requires me to see God at work in every situation I'm in. Every flat tire by the side of the road. Oh, why does this always happen to me? God, how come you do this to me? God's a, do you see how silly we are? God's there like, I'm with you. I have a plan for this. Get out and change the flat. We're like, bah! Stop doing that. God says to me, <laughs> I'm on your side here. We can, we can handle your car. I don't have tow service. We can handle that. You might say, well, I'm not a soldier in God's army. Yeah, you are. We just battle not against flesh and blood anymore. We battle against spiritual powers in horrible places. Now, back to you who I told to wait a minute. If you're not on God's team, it's time to get on God's team. I'm going to tell you why. 1 John 4, 9, and 10. This is a Bible text just for you. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. What God is saying to you, if you're not a church person, you're not a Christian, you're not sure you are. Here's what God is saying. 
God will show you his love. That's what manifest is. Why doesn't it just say show? Wouldn't that be easier? In this, the love of God was shown among us. How did he show he loved us? Not that you didn't get a flat. Not that mom didn't get cancer. Here's how he did it. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He sent his only son in the world so that this body which does die will not be the end of our soul and we'll even get a new body because God who raised his son from the dead will raise your body. Through his son, you will live. You say, what about all my sins? Jesus died for them on a cross. How do I know that? Let me keep reading. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. This is good news for you. (laughs) You... Most people in your life love you because you love them. It's a really nice arrangement. You should go for that. There's nothing wrong with that arrangement. Love people, be loved back by people. Right? It's a great, it's a great deal. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> but that's not why God loves you. It's not because you were just enamored with God when you were out there sinning. No, it says this. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. We weren't the lovers he was. He went first and loving us, he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. What's a propitiation? As simple as I can make a very unsimple word, this is still a simple idea. He did what was required to take away God's anger at you for your sin. So imagine you're the uncircumcised Philistines. And you're the enemy of his people. You're the bad guy. What God did was what was necessary to make you, the Philistine, the good guy. To take his anger away at you for being evil. What was that? He punished his own son in your place. So if you're not yet a believer, today's your day. Today's your day. What do I got to (laughs) do? You got to trust that what I just said is true. And I mean trust. You give your life to him. There is nothing more exciting in life than living for Christ. Now, you might say, well, that's never been exciting for me. Then you, you didn't get it right. You missed it. If you don't know Christ yet, come on in. The water's fine. I'm not inviting you to torture. I'm inviting you to the best day of your life. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.